all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Hello, Mississippi. You're listening to another live, that's right, right now, live edition of Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics, alone and lonely here, waiting for your call at 1-877-672-7464. That's right, it's open mic, and we have open lines. All topics are appropriate, and we love to hear your call. 1-877-672-7464 or 1-877-MPB-RING. We're going to be right back after this break to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Give us a call. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Russian President Vladimir Putin is receiving the Trump administration's top envoy, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who arrived in Moscow with a pointed message to the Kremlin to sever ties with Syria after last week's chemical attack in Idlib or face further isolation. NPR's Michelle Kellerman says pressure on Moscow and Damascus are also mounting at the U.N., whose special envoy on Syria is struggling to get the warring sides in the Syrian conflict to the negotiating table with the goal of entering talks next month. A day after visiting Washington, U.N. Special Envoy Stefan de Mistura was briefing the U.N. Security Council. He says the world was shocked by a chemical weapons attack in Syria last week, and he says there's been more violence on the ground in the wake of a U.S. missile strike against a Syrian air base. This is a time for clear thinking strategy, imagination, cooperation. He's keeping a close eye on Secretary of State Rex Tillerson's visit to Moscow. Russia backs Bashar al-Assad's regime and the White House has accused Moscow of trying to cover up last week's chemical attack. Tillerson is trying to persuade Russia to break with Assad and push for a solution. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, Washington. White House spokesman Sean Spicer is offering a fervent mea culpa for drawing comparisons between Syrian President Assad and Adolf Hitler, especially as many were observing the Jewish holiday of Passover. Today, Spicer repeatedly apologized, saying he made a mistake, and he vowed never to repeat it. Spicer sparked uproar as he was briefing reporters yesterday about a chemical attack last week blamed on forces loyal to Bashar al-Assad. He said not even Adolf Hitler used chemical weapons, although Hitler ordered the deaths of millions of Jews in gas chambers. Critics swiftly took to social media to protest, accusing the White House spokesman of minimizing Nazi atrocities. The chief of the U.S. Border Patrol, Ron Vitello, says the agency is having some trouble meeting the president's demand to hire 5,000 more agents to help guard the southwestern border. 
We have more on this from NPR's John Burnett. Two out of every three Border Patrol applicants fail the mandatory polygraph test, so the agency is trying to get waivers for current law enforcement and former military. The assignment can be in a hot, remote outpost in the desert. And even before Trump's call for more agents, the Border Patrol was looking for 1,800 new officers a year. Border Patrol Chief Ron Vitello spoke at the Border Security Expo in San Antonio. And so it's good news to have 5,000 new agents coming. The not-so-good news is, is we're not hiring fast enough to keep up with the attrition we're losing now. And then the worst news is that ICE is going to hire 10,000 people at the same time we're trying. ICE is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The chief concluded his speech with a plea, if you know anybody who wants to wear the green uniform, send them our way. John Burnett, NPR News, San Antonio. This is NPR News. The CEO of United Airlines is reversing course after facing a firestorm of criticism for the way he initially responded to the forcible removal of a ticketed passenger from a flight Sunday. Oscar Munoz now says he is ashamed after watching the cell phone images posted online that caught Chicago airport guards dragging Dr. David Dow out of his seat and down the aisle as other passengers watched or screamed in horror. The publicity disaster surrounding United intensified after Munoz initially appeared to justify the violent encounter by saying that the passenger was being belligerent. Four passengers were ordered to leave the crowded flight to make room for additional airline crew. Dow refused. Security forces in Somalia have rescued the crew of an Indian vessel in the Indian Ocean. NPR's Ada Peralta tells us the eight people were being held hostage by Somali pirates. Local authorities say that the eight men have been rescued after Somali forces traded fire with the pirates. The Indian nationals were taken hostage earlier this month near the city of Hobyo. The Alcusar vessel was the third to be hijacked in the past few weeks. Back in 2011, there was a rash of hijackings in the Indian Ocean. But the international community deployed patrols and there had been a long lull of pirate attacks. The pirates tell local media they have returned because international vessels are illegally fishing their waters. The pirates who hijacked the Indian vessel were also demanding that India release some of their jailed comrades. Ada Pralta, NPR News, Nairobi. The Dow is down 77 points. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Mathnasium and its Learning Center franchisees, committed to the idea that when kids understand math, they enjoy it and do more of it, leading to mastery. There are 700 Mathnasium Learning Centers. Locations at mathnasium.com. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, welcome to the Wednesday original Southern Remedy. Yep, the one that's been on so long that we've all gotten gray. We would love to have your call on all topics today. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, your host. And we're taking calls on whatever's on your mind today. It's open mic. So if you have a doctor question or a medical question uh, uh, that you want to get answered, uh, now is a good time to do that. 
because usually by the end of the program, we fill up and never get all the calls done. So we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, 672 and that's one eight seven seven mpb ring I was, uh, this has been a week where it's been sort of an Alzheimer's week in my clinic and practice, and uh, we've had lots of folks with this problem. As you know, the number of patients with uh, dementia is rapidly growing across the country as our population ages, and I uh, f- happened to find a copy of something that may be useful to some of you. Uh, it's published by the Alzheimer's Association of Mississippi. Uh, and it is free. Mm, that's good. Uh, their number is one eight hundred two seven two three nine zero zero. It's a living with Alzheimer's resource guide for families and caregivers, and it's really well done. Has a lot of local informa- uh, Mississippi information, and they are a great resource for Alzheimer's. I see so many people bringing their um, their mom and dad or other person and their family, loved ones in, and and they're just totally lost about what to do. And that is a a very helpful resource. Also, the MIND Center, M-I-N-D Center at UMC is now open. They've received a a significant grant from the Ford Foundation, and that is helping them expand their activities. You can Google their email address, uh, the MIND Center at UMC, and they have a whole series uh, programs coming up for the community to come in and ask questions and talk about whatever issues you have uh, personally with forgetfulness or memory disorders or in dealing and trying to help someone in your family get through this terrible problem. You're listening to Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, we'd love to have your email or have your call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, we're going to go to Georgia and we'll go to your house uh, next if you give us a call. Another thing I uh, happened up on this week is a book from University Press called "Uniting Mississippi: Democracy and Leadership in the South," and it's by Eric Weber, who's a professor at Ole Miss, and I had not seen this book before. But it's one you might be interested in because there's a lot of health implications here. And he talks about how we're going to have to start working together as advocates for the things we value in Mississippi to get things done with all the competing interests we have. It's Uniting Mississippi, Democracy, and Leadership in the South by Eric Thomas Weber. It's not really a political book. It's a philosophical book on how we can uh, be a better state. And Lord knows we need to be a better state in health because the numbers, no matter how many radio programs and doctors we generate, our numbers have not budged. So if you want to talk about your health or anything in your health, give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'm Dr. Rick, and I'm ready for you, and I'm alone and lonely. It's just me and the microphone and our producers here, so this is a good day to call. Hey, Larry, how are you doing? Uh, that's right. Dr. Rick, good morning. I'm sorry. You always make me laugh because you're so entertaining, but you know that already, of course. <laughs> well, better entertaining than informative. <laughs> oh, very informative. Uh, Brother, Brother Rick, uh, back up briefly. 68 years young, ketoner, don't smoke, don't do any of those bad things. Uh, but I have, I have this, you know, uh, midnight, you know, evening urination problem. 
Um, it's quality of life because I'm not getting good sleep. So I decided to take care of it. I, I, I got a prescription for, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to try it. Finsteride. Finsteride. Finasteride. Uh, Finasteride, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking that five milligrams, but I understand it would take up to a year to do that. Now, so I was thinking maybe I should take another medication of, with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done some research. I want to ask you about the idea of taking, I hope I said this right, Lomax. Yeah. Lomax, Lomax, yeah. Or, or, or something, uh, uh, Robo, RoboFlow. Uh, Dr. Rick, I will tell you that I'm blessed to have low, low blood pressure, which is a blessing, but I understand that could be a problem if I take one of those medications. So I want to ask you about that. I also want to ask you, too, besides the prostate, um, is there any other reason why men of my age could have discrimination problems? And then lastly, I want to ask you about the, about the new rec- recommendations for the PSA test. Boy, so you're I'm on gonna... top of that, that whole area. Well, thanks for your call, and I'll do my best to uh, to address uh, these issues. I'm not... Uh... I'm not familiar with RoboFlow, uh, and it's not in my medication list, so that's probably uh, uh, something other than a prescription med. So let me just talk about the things I do know about, and and that is uh, what's available by prescription and what what has been shown to work in clinical trials. So you're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. And we're taking all your questions on all topics today. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'll give it a shot, no matter what ails you. So give us a call. Larry just called from Georgia and was asking a little bit about the treatment of what's called LUTs now, lower urinary tract symptoms, LUTs, and LUTs can occur in women or men. His particular issue has to do with men, so I'll try to address that. And uh, as men age, one of the things that happens is the prostate gland, which provides secretions that are help are important to nurturing the sperm uh, as it comes through the urethra, um, uh, begins to get bigger, hypertrophy. Nobody knows exactly why this is. Uh, it's it's about the size of a chestnut, but it can get the size of a tennis ball. And unfortunately, the uh, the duct that connects the uh, bladder to the penis goes right through the prostate gland. So if the prostate gland starts swelling up, it squashes the urethra, that duct, and you start having all kinds of unpleasant feelings. Uh, the unpleasant feelings include uh, having to run to the bathroom frequently. That's called frequency. Having to work, run to the bathroom and, or feeling like you're not going to make it. That's called urgency. Uh, and nocturia is getting up all during the night and making small amounts of urine. Some people, it gets bad enough they can't, they, they get urinary obstruction. So the workup for prostatism, which is very common in men, is first of all to make sure you don't have prostate cancer, and uh, and that's a whole other topic uh, that I will try to get to if somebody will ask me about that. But you, we would do a digital rectal examination uh, if you appropriate, get a PSA, and we would get an ultrasound of your urinary bladder and your kidneys to make sure you don't have anything else obstructing the outflow other than your prostate. 
And at that point, if your prostate is enlarged, we will we will frequently put you on two drugs. And that's what Larry was talking about. One is a smooth muscle dilator, uh, and Flomax is the one people frequently think of. There are several other drugs in that family. That relaxes the muscle in your urethra and allows the urine to get through there uh, in larger quantities quicker and sometimes makes a big difference. The other thing is uh, you can take a... Um, an anti-hormone drug, and he mentioned the name of one. The generic name is dutesteride, and that over a period of 6 to 12 months will actually shrink the size of your prostate, and if you're lucky, will uh, treat the problem. If after taking those two drugs together, then uh, and you're, not, you're still having problems, a decision has to be made about a surgical procedure, and there are cer- several of these that can be done to uh, to deal with this problem, and uh, they're getting they're getting uh, simpler and less noxious all the time. And so, your primary care doctor can do the first two things, but the urologist would have to do the interventional thing. And we'll talk about uh, more about prostate problems if you'll give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And we'll also be happy to talk more about the new PSA. Uh, recommendations which change every hour on the hour and recently have changed yet again. So let's go to Mobile and James. How are things in Mobile? Uh, Very good. Always Uh, good down there just about, right? It's great today. Good to hear Uh, from you. Would like to ask your thoughts on homeopathic remedies Uh and how they play in with, um, you know, just general health care. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, my pleasure, and thank you for calling. Uh, You will notice that uh, when you go to the drugstore and look at at the drugs that are available, certain of them have a homeopathic remedy. Uh, Prior to uh, the the development of the uh, practice of medicine into its present... um, Categories, which would be allopathic, uh, which is the kind of MDIM and the kind that's trained at UMC, um, and there were homeopathic physicians. And one of the medical schools up in New York uh, was one of the best homeopathic schools uh, in the country. And they felt that by using very small quantities of certain drugs and herbs, that you could treat diseases. And these were sub sub clinically causing any obvious effect otherwise. So they had a whole bunch of different medicines they came up with. Uh, Over time, the homeopathic uh, medical schools became allopathic and joined osteopathic medical schools in being the two major types of schools to become a physician now. The the, and we have both in Mississippi, obviously, and you do have most both in Alabama as well. So um, now homeop- there is no such thing as a homeopathic medical school but the, in, in the U.S., but we still have some of these medicines around. And uh, they, they work about 20% of the time on just about anything. And that is the time placebos work, about 20% of the time. And uh, they, the ones that are available have not gone through clinical trials, and there's very little scientific evidence to back up any efficacy. 
and I don't recommend them to pay people uh, at all. So that's my thought on it, and I'm sure some other person will disagree, but that's my recommendation. I don't think homeopathic homeopathic drugs are useful, and I never know what's in them, which is even scarier. It's not like smoking marijuana. You know, there are over 90 different chemicals in marijuana uh, that have psychotropic, psychiatric things, and we only know about what five of them are. So it's it's sort of like uh, playing Russian roulette with that. So I, I'm not a big supporter of that. If you want to talk more about prostates, homeopathy, marijuana, or whatever's on your mind, I'm here. And as you can tell, I'll take a shot at anything. Let's go to Meridian and Dave. Hey, Dave. Hey there. What's happening? Well, what's happening is I've uh, experiencing uh, foggy-headedness and tiredness. And uh want to know what, and I, I said chronic fatigue, I don't know what else, what to call it, but want to get your, uh, uh, what your experience is with that. I'm 63, overweight, had heart surgery a few years ago, and uh, I got a CPAP, and, and that does fine, and I would still lie. And uh, uh, just... Uh, How long's this been going on, Dave? <clears throat> uh, uh Three, three years or three years like or so. That. What happened three years ago? Did you uh, have a life I don't event? Know. It, these things just come on kind of like gradually, and they get more and more and more. And you, you and you, I, uh, suddenly I'm just like all the time uh, can't shake the fogginess uh, during the day. And uh, what do you mean fogginess? I, what do you mean? In the middle of the day, I have to just lay down and take a nap, or you know, because I. Feel tired, or I, you know, headed. Uh, I tried check on. Have my doctor check on the thyroid. Thyroid's fine, and mm-hmm. my blood tests come down the middle. Mm-hmm. Nothing stands out. So I just wonder if there's any strange situation you come up on. How many hours of sleep are you getting with your CPAP? Well, uh, <clears throat> um. I try to go to bed about 10, and it puts me to sleep pretty doggone quick. I like that about it, at uh, 10 o'clock so. And then I, I wake up about <coughs> about 6 mm-hmm. in the morning like that. And I wake up pretty good, mm-hmm. pretty sharp, sharp, sharp-minded uh, when I wake up, clear-headed kind of. Then after about two or three or four hours, around 10 o'clock, it's like I can feel it coming on like somebody. I got you. I think I've got you, Dave. Thanks so much. And that that is a a big question. Seeing patients with chronic fatigue or fatigue seems to be the most popular diagnosis in my uh, in my clinic after problems with the spouse. That one comes first. Uh, I do better with the fatigue one than I do with problems with the spouse, especially mother-in-laws. Uh, but I'll do my best to answer your question, and I'll answer anybody else's question that wants to call in. I'm at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is Dr. Rick. You're listening to Southern Remedy, and it is open mic. Any questions you want to ask, we'd love to try to answer them. So um, uh, when we someone comes into our clinic and t- talks about fatigue, uh, there are several easily, the common and easily treatable problems that pop out. Uh, you usually don't get chronic fatigue with cancer unless it's far advanced. And so that's really easy to pick up 
in a general history and physical exam. Um, the things that uh, you have to get blood tests or other tests for are things like thyroid disease because being hypothyroid, having too little thyroid, uh, thyroid is sort of the sort of the regulator of all metabolic function in your body. Uh, and about 50% of women have um, antithyroid antibodies, and a significant number of those people will have their thyroid poop out in midlife. It's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis, very common. We don't know what causes it, but it's a common problem. So that's one of the first things we do. We work up the thyroid. We do a general history and physical uh, another thing that can do this is any kind of heart disease. Obviously, you've had heart disease, and heart failure is associated with fatigue. And then sleep apnea, which is probably the biggest underdiagnosed cause of high blood pressure and chronic fatigue <clears throat> that uh, exists. As we get older, the back of our throat goes south, just like everything else. You know, your belly button goes south. Uh, you get wrinkles, uh, everything goes south. And so that palate flops. And when you lay back at night to go to sleep, it obstructs your airway. It basically blocks your air and you stop breathing. And that's called sleep apnea. And you also snore. And the snoring is rather characteristic. It's this guttural snoring. Sounds like this. Sort of like that. It's not the usual story. And people will frequently stop. So uh, people who have obstructive sleep apnea, like you, Dave, uh, frequently have other forms of sleep disorders that can persist after the sleep problem is corrected. And it sounds like you have another sleep disorder, and there are medicines to keep you awake during the day uh, with that fatigue. The fact that you're having to take a nap in the midday uh, is problematic for somebody with sleep apnea because if you're getting refreshed sleep, you should not have to take a nap. By the way, you never take a nap for over 45 minutes because it throws your whole sleep cycle off during the day. So uh, my suggestion to you, Dave, is to go back to your sleep doctor, whether it's a pulmonary person or a neurologist uh, or a general uh, board-certified sleep doctor and uh, tell them this problem and see if you shouldn't be on one of those wake-up medicines, they're not amphetamines, uh, that are available to keep you more awake and uh, with it. I think that may be the problem. You're listening to, and good luck to you, Dave. If you need more information about this, send me an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org and I'll send you some info about that problem. Listen, we have an email here that we want to answer about muscle problems, and we want to answer your question at one 672 It's open mic, and our lines are open on Southern Remedy. I'll be right back after this break.
Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. You can make a difference in your community by simply donating a vehicle. It's a quick and easy way to take care of that unwanted vehicle that is just sitting around. Best of all, we'll handle the entire process from picking up the vehicle to sending you the tax paperwork. Just call 877-MPB-4CAR or go online to mpbonline.org slash support. Make the difference and donate your vehicle today. And trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. We're taking your medical questions today. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Whether you're on the road or at home or wherever you are, we'll be happy to answer your questions uh, either at 1-877-672-7464 or by email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org. Here's a gotten a number of uh, emails, and I'll I'll try to answer as many of these on the air as I can. Uh, One caller called in uh, just a minute ago and wants to know what myositis is. Myo means muscle, and situs means means inflammation. So that is muscle inflammation, inflammatory muscle problem. Uh, Myositis can can occur with infections, or with connective tissue diseases like dermatomyositis, some cases of lupus, and others. And we make this diagnosis by getting muscle enzymes like a CPK uh, and an aldolase. So it's a, it's a problem that uh, re- requires attention because uh, if you overuse your muscles when you have myositis, they can uh, die and the uh, muscle, the muscle components can cause a condition called rhabdomyolysis, in which your kidney fills up with protein from the muscles uh, that are inflamed. So it's it's not a minor condition, and uh, you really need to get that sorted out. Drink lots of fluids in the interim. You're listening to the uh, live Wednesday edition and uh, of Southern Remedy, and if you're listening on Sunday morning early. It's great to have you with us as well. We'll take your emails from the Sunday morning program at one at mpbonline.org, and we're taking live questions now at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to Ridgeland, Livingston, Alabama, and going to On the Road. Hey, Mister Hallett, how you doing? You're on the road, right? Yes, sir, I am. We appreciate your calling in. What's what's your question? Thank you for taking my call, Dr. Rick. I was just wondering what the correlation would be between um, all the ailments that we men suffer from when we get older and low testosterone and the fact that our bodies are also getting more acidic. 
thank you very much. I'll listen to the radio. All righty. Thank you for your call and be safe on the road. Actually, yet another big study just came in uh, in the last three months about the uh, whether or not uh, testosterone is effective in dealing with men's complaints uh, of aging. And these include lack of energy, poor sexual performance, um, and all the rest of that, low libido and the like. And it was a big controlled trial. It's the second one that I, that I have actually read the details on. The first one was one that was done by the NIH several years ago, <clears throat> and they had to stop it because the, the group getting testosterone replacement were having heart attacks. They just stopped it. And this one uh, is a little bit different. Uh, it, rather than having heart attacks, they were having strokes, so they stopped it. So um, we're not going to be using uh, testosterone in the form that we have it right now for replacement <clears throat> of uh, low testosterone uh, like we have been using. It, it, in people who, uh, older people who have preexisting cholesterol, high blood pressure, and other problems, the benefit is not worth the limited improvement that it gives for these symptomatologies. Now, I will tell you there is a treatment for these symptomatologies. And the, the treatment for the fatigue and low energy and all that stuff is a, a stepped exercise program, which people just won't do. You know, as you start walking and you walk a little bit further, you talk a little bit further, and then you start walking faster and longer, and you do that 30 minutes at least three times a week, and better if you do it every day if you're retired, and you will find over a period of 6 to 12 weeks, you'll start feeling a heck of a lot better. So far as the erectile dysfunction, we got great medicines and other things for that. You don't have to take testosterone to get that fixed. So uh, <clears throat> that's, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. Okay? Thanks for your call and drive carefully. Let's go to Livingston. Hey, Carolyn. Yes. That's one of my favorite stops, the Livingston exit on the freeway. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I go back and forth to Birmingham and other places, and just uh, people are so kind there, and I always enjoy uh, visiting with them. Oh, uh, you got a Diamond Gems up there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's on your mind? Well, I am 67, and I have had uh, a hip and a, and a knee replacement. Yes. Um, when I was in Vermont, I went to UVM uh, for other issues, and they thought that I may have psoriatic arthritis, but there was all this confusion of whether or not I had psoriatic arthritis or just regular arthritis, and I never felt comfortable about that yeah. you know, diagnosis. So in the meantime, I moved back down south, and now my left hip is acting up. Um, and right now, it, it seems to be mostly the sciatica, and I'm getting treatment for that. But uh, we took some uh, film, and that sure enough, that left hip is deteriorating, and I'm going to ship that off to my orthopedic surgeon down at LSU. Right. But what do you think this could be? I mean, I... I know it's difficult for you to... Have you ever been on steroids? On steroids? Uh-huh. Not, not permanently. I have taken steroids. 
Oh. They don't seem to. Okay, so you haven't been on long-term steroids for asthma or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Have have do do you have have you had your bone density done and make sure yes. you don't have osteoporosis? Yes, okay. Have you ever been in a major traumatic event like an automobile accident or where you've injured multiple joints? Yes. Okay. And um, uh, did you break anything in that accident a long time ago? No. Okay. Never broken a bone. All right. And uh, do you have active psoriasis? I, I don't. Uh, they thought they saw some in my scalp, but um, mm. I just don't believe I have it. Okay. And I did. So let me, let me no, give you one, one last question, and I'll answer your question. Do you have bumps on the last joint in your finger, during your fingernail? Bumps, Heberden's nodes? I sure do. Uh-huh. Okay. So let me try to answer your question, which is a very good one, and I really appreciate you calling because this is a daily uh, thing I go through with patients, too. Psoriatic arthritis is a condition of uh, what's called a seronegative spondyloarthritis. It's an arthritis that doesn't have the usual lab test results that we rheumatologists use to make a diagnosis of things like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or other diseases. So it's a very clinical diagnosis, basically made uh, as the best guesstimate a physician has. There is no correlation between the activity of psoriasis and whether uh, and the activity of psoriatic arthritis. Psoriatic arthritis is, uh, since there are no markers for it, uh, we look for the coincidence of psoriasis and involvement of the axial spine, which is your uh, lumbosacral spine, your th- thoracic spine, cervical spine. And the x-rays of the hands on this are very different from anything else. You have very, very large erosions. Now, if you have inflammatory osteoarthritis, uh, which is old age arthritis at a young age, but it causes big bumps like those nodes on the end of your fingers. Uh, It can be a little bit confusing because people that have inflammatory osteoarthritis have changes that sort of look like psoriatic arthritis. One of the ways we diagnose psoriatic arthritis is get hand films and look for erosions, but that is a useful thing. The other thing we do is get x-rays of the sacroiliac joint and uh, and it has a particular pattern that helps us sort it out. Uh, most people have an elevated sedimentation rate. Most Some don't. So if there's a question about it and we think it's a high probability, we will probably, uh, will usually try a trial of a DMARD, a disease-modifying agent. And if we can get away with it, we will use a biologic like Humira or Enbrel uh, which acts really quickly, and try a three-month trial. If it doesn't work, we stop it uh, because if if it doesn't work, it isn't psoriatic arthritis in most cases. I think you have probably generalized osteoarthritis. You're getting some symmetrical involvement. You've had a previous traumatic injury, which increases the risk, and I I think it's that. But if you're if you haven't had a consultation from uh, a, a board-certified rheumatologist, I would get one before I went much further because you're having so many joints uh, replaced. There are excellent ones at UAB in Birmingham, and they've trained a bunch of them that are uh, throughout your state. We have good ones over here. 
uh, in Mississippi and at the medical center, I think it would be worth a single consultation uh, just to sort that out. And I hope the general information I've given you is helpful, Carolyn, and I'm sorry you're having to have all this joint replacement, but at least it's available now and the quality of life can be improved greatly by getting them replaced when they need to get there. So I hope that's helpful. If you need more info, send me an email at one eight uh, at, at mpbonline.org. Uh, we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's Open Mike, and I'm Dr. Rick. And let's go to Ridgeland and Fred. Hey, Fred. Fred? I'm here. Howdy doody. Hi. Um, question about uh, prostate enlargement and taking of Zyrtec. Okay. Any thoughts on that? I'll tell you why I asked, because I, I was um, at my urologist, and um, the nurse, you know, standard question is what medications you're taking. Mm-hmm. And I'm not taking any prescription medications, mm-hmm. um, but I have been taking Zyrtec on a fairly regular basis, and he asked about that, and he said, Kind of, I was the tone of his voice that that kind of caught me, and, and he said, he said you're you're just taking this on a seasonal for seasonal allergies, right? Um, well, the season for me lasts <laughs> yeah, tw- twelve yeah. months of the year. That's year, right. Yeah, I got so, you. Anyway, uh, without thinking, I said yes because uh, you know, I, w- I wouldn't take it if I didn't need it. Well, that. I will give you the answer, okay? Because I I know this problem well. As a fellow sufferer of prostatism, um, the older uh, uh, first-generation antihistamines like Benadryl have a large, what are called anticholinergic effect. One of those that people notice most frequently is it gives you dry mouth. You stop making saliva. It blocks the part of your neurological system that controls that. Well, there are also receptors. Uh, in the urinary tract that are affected by those first-generation antihistamines. So we have uh, folks who are not having any trouble at all with peeing, and all of a sudden they go on Benadryl and they can't pee. Uh, And so that does it. And uh, so that's what the urologists are so concerned about. Uh, There are second-generation antihistamines, things like uh, Allegra, and Claritin and their generic forms, uh, and Zyrtec, which is cetirizine, that have much less of this problem. Now, the one you, that you picked, Zyrtec, which is probably the best uh, over-the-counter antihistamine that we have for getting rid of allergy s- s- uh, symptoms, has more of this effect than any of the other uh, second-generation antihistamines. So if you can get away with taking Allegra or Claritin and get the same result, then you could switch to that over-the-counter and, uh, and, and not worry about the effects because they're almost never seen with that. They are very, very rarely seen with Zyrtec if you take the 10 milligrams once a day, but they can occur. So that's why he, you got a good doctor. Stick with him. He's trying to think of everything he possibly and nurse and trying to think of everything possible to keep you from having problems with your urination. So, Fred, that was a good question, and thank you for it. Uh, let's go to West Point. We'll go to your house. 
If you call us at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, we have two open lines, and we'd love to talk to you about your medical problems if you give us a call. Hey, Stephen, what's going on in West Point? I'm, I've been having some issues with lower back pain, and it's been dragging on for seems like two or three years now, uh, and it's affecting quality of life, walking, mobility, stuff like that. Uh, and did you have an injury that started this process, or it just popped up? Uh, well, it's been kind of on and off. I mean, it seems like my whole adult life, but just recently, I mean, what started at the most recent time was I had been walking regularly seven, eight miles a day. Uh-huh. And then one day it just was on the lower right side of the back and it just hasn't really ever gone away. Uh-huh. Does it ever go down to your buttocks or to your legs? Sometimes. Yeah. So how old are you? 53. Uh-huh. And are you up to date on your uh, preventive medicine, your regular physical exams, your prostate exam, all that stuff? Yes. Okay. All right. So, <clears throat> Stephen, you don't have any of the usual alarm signs that we see with low back pain. Uh, the fact that you have survived with this for two years probably means that you do not have anything surgical at this point that's going to require surgery. Uh, but in in a person uh, who is over 50 and has the onset of low back pain, we do usually get some x-rays and do a physical examination to make sure it's, it's not because you have uh, a cancer that's gone to your spine or some, some other weird problem. Uh, so... It, it it does need uh, a sort of a baseline workup in which uh, someone looks at x-rays of your lumbosacral spine, which take about two minutes to get, uh, make sure that there's nothing going on, does a neurological exam to make sure you're not having any weakness occur from this, and reviews your general health to make sure there's not something else going on. At that point, the best treatment for this is physical therapy, uh, and non-steroidals for it. And the problem with it is that people will not take the non-steroidals on a daily basis. They take them on an as-needed basis. So, for instance, in low back pain, the use of Tylenol, just a single-strength Tylenol twice a day, if you don't have liver problems and you don't drink a lot, <clears throat> frequently takes care of this problem. But the biggest help is physical therapy and learning how to do the back exercises if you if you've ever looked at a chicken neck, you know you see that there are all these little bones stopped up on uh, stacked up on top of each other, and there are little discs between the neck. And the reason the neck moves back and forth is there's rotation of those little bones on each other. The same thing goes with your your neck and your back. And as we get older, those discs desiccate, lose their water, and start settling out and can entrap nerves going down to your legs, your buttocks, and so forth. And you sound like you have what we call discogenic discogenic back pain, which is wearing out the disc. Uh, the, ex- the surgery for this works about 50% of the time. So, you know, it's not something I would want. The only reason that I refer people for surgery uh, of, is when they have intractable pain I can't get rid of with medical therapy or 
there is neurological uh, compromise, like not being able to urinate and stuff like that, the weakness right. in one leg. So uh, my recommendation is, is when I would check with my primary care doctor and make sure that he or she knows about this and, um, and see if they want to get an X-ray and immediately get a referral to a physical therapist uh, by doing these exercises, you strengthen the muscles in the front and the back of your spine that basically keep your spine from wiggling. And when you're, it doesn't wiggle as much, then you don't uh, catch those nerves that give you the pain. It stabilizes your spine. And uh, that would be the first thing I would do. Uh, and then there are a lot of things going from there. So talk to your doctor. See if you need lumbosacral spine series. Make sure you don't have any other medical conditions that are contributing to this. Get uh, get that uh, person to agree that taking a Tylenol once a day and uh, PT uh, to learn how to do these exercises every day. Uh, and the other, the last thing is, which people never do, is uh, swimming. Swimming is the best thing or water walking in a warm pool is the best thing you can do for back pain uh, because it really tightens up those muscles. And I hope that's helpful. Did you say water walking, so just walking in? Yeah, water walking, if you're not a swimmer, is very, very helpful. And it doesn't hurt. And if the pool's warm enough, it feels good. And uh, so that's I have an awful back. Their, Their orthopedists have been circling around me with knives since I was in my 30s. When I blew my first disc out, pulling up an azalea bush in, in Mobile like an idiot, bent over backwards, mm-hmm. not knowing how to pull stuff. And uh, and I swim three or four times a week. And I will tell you, when I don't swim, I can't walk. Uh, it right. really does work. And I hope that helps. Yeah, thanks. And, and you've been able to avoid the knife with that? Absolutely. Great. That's the last okay, thing I-, I want done to my back. Yeah, right. I appreciate the insight. Good to talk to you. Thanks. We've got an open line at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Tate and Pearl. Hey, Tate. Tate, you there? Yeah. Good to hear from you. What's going on? Um, about three months ago, uh, I, I uh, had a renal cell carcinoma uh, tumor re- removed from my right kidney. It was found, like I understand, uh, found in a, for a scan for another problem, and they saw it. You're very fortunate. Yes, I, I, I yes I am. Uh, my my question is, um, it was, seemed like it was kind of my idea when it was all over to to make an appointment for like a six month interval to come in and get rescanned yeah. to see if there was any activity there. And, and uh, is, is is that something that I should do? And should I keep it up? Or that's my question. Okay, so let me just make sure I know how this uh, came to be. So basically, you after you got the scan, they found this. They referred you to a surgeon. He cut it out and said he got all of it. Adios, amigo. Is that what happened? But that is. That's right. I, I already had a urologist, and he did it, and, and he said he thought he got it all. Yeah. And, so, and, so he did not refer you to a um, medical or surgical oncologist for a, an opinion? No, sir, he did not. Okay. I, I went in, and he did his own scan on it, and then he, he did the surgery. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, that is the usual procedure for an encapsulated renal cell carcinoma that is caught early before it metastasizes. If you take the whole uh, kidney out, you get lucky. 
and you find this as an incidental on, on a workup. It's it happens uh, infrequently, but we do see it uh, before it metastasizes widely, and those tumors can turn on like a light bulb and just go everywhere. And uh, so uh, you, you better be going to church every Sunday and thanking God that that, that got picked up. Uh, wow. The, 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 uh, usually it's a cure, okay? Uh, sure. I'll just tell you uh, that if I had had one of those things, I would want to be scanned at least twice, uh, because uh, the the tumor is treatable if you can get it earlier on, but it's it's very resistant if it gets totally metastatic. So, but but that's not the standard of care. I'm a doctor and I have access to that. What I would do is I would talk to my doctor, uh, and 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 first of all, I would like to send you uh, uh, an up to date information sheet on this topic that talks about what to do after you've had one of these. If you'll send me an email at Southern Remedy to MPB online, I'll send that back to you, and that will give you some assurance. But I would talk to my urologist again and ask him if uh, he wouldn't be willing to do a scan for your own uh, mental health, and uh, I think that would not be an unreasonable thing to do. Okay, okay. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, sir. Well, I'm, you're blessed. Thank you for your call. Let's go to John and Meridian. Hey, John. John, what's going on with your prostate? Hey, sir, what is prostate milking and is it dangerous? Okay. I've been told I needed, but it was left at that. Okay. Um, so uh, prostate milking is masturbation to orgasm. Uh, and... What that does in people who have chronic prostatitis is clear out uh, some of the plugs in the ducts uh, that cause that. Prostatitis is an awful problem where your prostate gland, for whatever reason, gets plugged up and the prostate secretions don't naturally go out of there and it gets infected. Any closed space in the body that isn't drained because of obstruction gets infected sooner or later. So uh, people have terrible trouble uh, just sitting down because it hurts so much inside there. And uh, sometimes they'll have blood in their urine uh, and just terrible discomfort. Usually responds to antibiotics. And uh, prostate milking by masturbation has been one of the ways prior to having good antibiotics that we tried to deal with this because we felt that keeping it cleared uh, was um, the ducts cleared by by getting that stuff out of there was a good good thing to do. The the best of my knowledge, there have never been any controlled trials to look to see if that works. Uh, And I would talk to my urologist about his or her uh, opinion. It sort of depends on uh, how chronic this is, what the size of your prostate is, and so forth. And some people are not comfortable doing this. There's nothing, uh, you know, heinous about masturbation. Uh, and uh, so, you know, you're not going to have to explain to uh, God that you did it. Uh, so I wouldn't worry about that. But uh, it, it whether or not it would be useful would be depending on the anatomy that that the the doctor is feeling and what he or she thinks about it, but it does not not need to be done prophylactically. Okay. 
Gotcha. Is that helpful? I, I don't know whether I got your whole question answered. I, yes, sir. You, you answered what it was. That's the main thing I just needed to say. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate your call. We're going to West Point and Pearl. And do you, if you give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Here's an email. Uh, my, my question is, uh, I'm 70 years old. Uh, I weigh five. T- uh, I weigh 109 pounds. I'm five foot two. Walk 30 minutes a day. And is it okay for me to eat an egg once a week, my dear? It's okay for you to eat two eggs once a week. Um, we all that stuff we used to think about eggs and cholesterol was bogus. Most of the problems with high cholesterol are genetic. You have the propensity to make too much of the stuff. And it's not that re- related uh, to what you eat, especially if you're thin and fit like you are. So um, your LDL is a little high. It's 121, uh, 122. Uh, depending on what your risk factors are, we usually treat that. Um, and uh, laying off of eggs is not going to fix it. You're going to have to go on a statin. We now know that statins have many effects uh, over and beyond protection from heart attacks and strokes. And my guess is that in the next 30 years, we'll be putting just about every teenager in the United States on the statin uh, if they have any family history of coronary artery disease. Uh, your blood pressure is normal and so forth. So I don't think eggs has anything to do with that, but I would go with pravastatin, 10 milligrams a day, uh, just because it has all these great cardiac effects as cardioprotective. I'm going to go to Jackson and Charlie in just a minute. Here's one more email. I visited the doctor in February about an injury in my shoulder. After several tests, I was told that I had tendonitis and bursitis. I explained that I have numbness in my fingers and excessive pain in my elbow and same arm. I was given a nerve test. It came back negative. I was given a steroid shot and put in physical therapy. At physical therapy, they discovered my elbow was hyperextensive and doing excessive bending, so forth and so on. They reported this to the doctor, but he's not gotten back. Should I call the doctor or wait until my follow-up visit in June? Should I be worried, is this normal? Listen, doctors work for you. It's not the other way around. You pay money or your insurance company or you pay money to your insurance company to pay money for us to do our thing. You should not have to question when you need your questions answered. So, yes, I would call your doctor and um, if you can only get through the nurse, explain the nurse that you uh, had physical therapy. They found you were hyperextending your elbow, et cetera, et cetera, and get your questions answered. And if not, find another one. That'd be my answer. Uh, because, uh, you know, you've already had to have a shot in your shoulder. You've got some neurologic signs, and you need some follow-up, and I'm not sure you need to wait till June. I don't think it's a big problem, but I do think you ought to let them know about that. And uh, that that's my unbiased, unvarnished opinion. Okay, let's go to Charles and Jackson. Hey, Charles. Hello. Hi, Dr. Rick. Uh, better because you called. Call. What's going uh, on? Well, I got uh, a, a meniscus tear in my left and right knee that was surgically repaired, uh, and it never quite took completely. Uh, and then I, I went, there was a Duke University had a study uh, through an Israeli company uh, for an artificial meniscus. Yeah. And I was going to be part of, uh, you know, trying to see if I could be part of that study. 
Uh, the, the doctor came in and said uh, I could not be part of that study because I was found to be bow-legged. And um, uh, so I kind of washed out, but he, he referred me to another doctor. Uh, Charles, three. Charles, can you stop for just a second? I'm about out of time. If you will hang on the line, I will take the rest of your question off the air. It's pretty complicated, and I want to give you the answer you need. So just hang on, and I'll be with you in just a minute. You've been listening to Southern Re-